at around 12.40pm on Saturday the 16th of June 1990, 52-year-old Clangothlin-based antiques dealer Treveline Evans left a note on her shop door. It read, Back in two minutes. The weather was sunny and warm as Treveline made the short walk to a market stall to buy an apple and banana for her lunch. Her whereabouts over the next couple of hours are disputed, but later that afternoon, at 2.30pm, she was spotted walking near her home on Market Street, just a five-minute walk from the shop. This was to be the last confirmed sighting of Treveline. Despite a police investigation and much local gossip and online speculation, over 30 years later, her disappearance remains a mystery. Did Treveline choose to disappear that day and make a new life for herself? Was she involved in a tragic accident? Or did she fall victim to foul play by persons unknown? Persons Unknown is a true crime podcast dedicated to unsolved murders and disappearances. The podcast is based in Wales, UK, and covers cases from Wales, the rest of the UK, and the wider world. You can follow Persons Unknown on Facebook and Instagram at Persons Unknown Podcast, where you'll be able to see photographs relating to the case. For a list of sources, please see the episode notes on your app. If you enjoy the podcast, please give us a review. Thank you so much for listening. Now back to this week's case. Treveline Evans was a popular figure in the small North Wales town of Flangothlin, where she lived with her husband Richard. The couple had one child together, a son, also named Richard, who was himself a serving police officer at the time of his mother's disappearance. Reports from the time that Treveline disappeared also stated that she was a grandmother. Treveline was the owner and proprietor of Attic Antiques, where she bought and sold a variety of antiques and oddities to a small but loyal group of customers. She seemed happily married and had a modestly successful business to provide her with an income. From the outside at least, Treveline seemed to be enjoying her life. The week before her disappearance, Treveline had spent with her husband at the couple's holiday bungalow in Rithlin. Rithlin is a small community situated just south of the North Wales seafront town of Rill, and only about 65 kilometres or so from Llangothlin. Treveline returned to Llangothlin for work on Wednesday the 13th of June 1990 but Richard stayed on at the bungalow to undertake repairs and improvements to the property. She left in their only car. Presumably the plan was for Treveline to return when Richard had finished in order to collect him. On the morning of Saturday the 16th of June, Treveline drove to her shop and parked the car about 30 metres away. 
She opened Attic Antiques at around 9.30am, which was the usual opening time for the shop. Police estimate that during the morning, around 30 customers came into the shop, and from their inquiries, Treveline seemed happy and relaxed, and had been talking about going out later that evening. A friend said she had called at the antique shop at around 12.30pm. It was common for friends of Treveline to pop in for a cup of tea and a chat during the working day. However, the friend noticed that Treveline was talking to a smartly dressed man inside the shop and, assuming she was busy with a customer, left without speaking with her. It is estimated that at 12.40pm, Treveline left her shop, leaving the sign back in two minutes on the door. The shop was situated in Church Street, just a short distance from the main shopping area. The weather was warm and fine and she walked to the nearby market stalls on Castle Street where she purchased an apple and a banana from a vendor at around 1pm. After this, the timeline begins to get a little hazy and while we do know some of what occurred, other events are speculated or best guesses. One thing we do know is that later that evening, her husband Richard attempted to contact his wife over the phone. This was long before mobile phones were readily available, so he called the house landline. Richard phoned the house numerous times but got no response. He then managed to get hold of a neighbour and asked if he could go and check to see if Treveline was still at the shop. The neighbour did just that and informed Richard that the shop was locked and that her car was still parked a short distance away. Richard, worried that something had happened to his wife, contacted the police and reported that she was missing and her whereabouts were unknown. The police began some inquiries and initially theorised that at some point Treveline had returned to her shop following purchasing the apple and banana from the market store. This was because a banana skin was found in the bin within the shop. The police were unsure if this was definitely the case, however, as there was no evidence that this was the banana she had bought that lunchtime, and Treveline was known to like bananas. It could have been a banana she had eaten earlier in the day, or perhaps another day. When friends and customers were questioned by the police, they also made the point that if Treveline had returned to the shop, the very first thing she would have done was to remove the sign from the door. Police also found her purse and car keys and a bunch of flowers on the counter within the shop. It was assumed she would have taken these with her if she had indeed returned to the shop after getting her lunch and left again unless, of course, she had been forced to leave against her will. With no obvious sign of struggle, and with nothing in her behaviour that morning raising alarm, police didn't have a lot to go on. CCTV was in its infancy at that time, and whilst there were shops in the vicinity that did have working cameras, not all of them did, and a search of the footage proved fruitless in discovering what had happened. The police began extensive door-to-door inquiries, eventually contacting every single house in the town. 
From these initial investigations, the police gleaned three key pieces of information. One witness was able to confirm a sighting of Treveline Evans walking along Market Street close by and in the direction of her home at around 2.30pm. This is puzzling, as she didn't have a key with her and as her husband wasn't in the house, he wouldn't have been able to let her in if she was returning to collect something she had forgotten. This is the last confirmed sighting of Treveline, though there are two more unconfirmed sightings later that day. One, just five minutes later at 2.35pm. At this time, a second witness claimed to have seen Treveline walking along the A5 road out of town, close to the Riverside Park and towards the neighbouring town of Corwen. This was a relatively short distance from her home on Market Street, but made little sense. Why would she have been heading in this direction on foot? Unlike the first sighting, this was not confirmed as definitely Treveline. Finally, a third person said that at 3.45pm they had seen a woman matching Treveline's description walk into Park Avenue from the direction of the River Dee. This was approximately a 15-minute walk from Castle Street where she had bought the fruit from the stall vendor. This sighting is also unconfirmed and police couldn't understand why she would have been walking here at this time and where she might have been during the previous two hours. Despite the information collected from these witness statements, the police were struggling to discover any explanation or discernible leads uncovering what had happened to Treveline. They began to turn their attention to Treveline's movements and behaviour in the days leading up to her disappearance. Earlier on the Saturday she disappeared, a shop owner had spoken with Treveline as she bought some milk on her way to work. He told the police that when Treveline had opened her purse to pay for the milk, he had noticed a large amount of cash inside. This money was not found inside the purse later that day. A witness came forward to say that on Thursday the 14th of June, that's two days before her disappearance, Treveline had been in the company of a grey-haired man in her shop. The following day on the 15th, Treveline was seen with this man again as they walked through the town. The man was described as wearing a suit and carrying a briefcase. This was similar to the description of the man seen speaking to Treveline on the day of her disappearance, just minutes before she left to buy the fruit at the stall. Two tourists also came forward, claiming they were sure they had seen Treveline in a wine bar drinking with a smartly dressed man with grey hair. Following this information about the mysterious man, police explored the possibility that Treveline was having an extramarital affair. Though if that was the case, one would presume that Treveline would be more careful than to be seen walking so openly in such a small, close-knit town with her secret lover. The bouquet of flowers left at the shop could also point towards a secret relationship, as none of her friends reported giving her flowers that day, and nobody could find evidence that she had purchased them herself. 
Although this theory was considered, it was soon dismissed. Everyone close to Treveline said that she was happy in her marriage, and the idea that she was having an affair just didn't ring true. After the first couple of weeks, the police were still none the wiser, despite over a hundred officers working the case, and just about every resident and over 1,200 tourists having been interviewed. 700 cars had also been checked. The surrounding countryside, including caves and redundant mine shafts, had been scoured for clues, and the local River Dee searched by divers. The possibility was considered that as the location of her shop and the witness statements all put her close to the river, that she may have slipped and fallen in. A popular narrow vale of thick forests, known as World's End, which is about a 30-minute drive from Hangothlin, was also combed thoroughly by police dogs and their handlers, yet all searches proved fruitless. It was at this time that Treveline's husband, Richard, made an appeal through the media for information on the whereabouts of his wife, and put forward a £5,000 reward. Treveline's story also featured twice on the BBC programme Crime Watch, in order to try and uncover new leads and gain more exposure for the case. Despite thousands of police hours and over 300 statements being taken, in the following months and years the trail went cold, and Treveline's disappearance remained a mystery. No money was ever taken from her bank account, convincing locals and detectives alike that she had indeed been abducted and probably murdered. Ten years following the disappearance, the case was reinvestigated with the hope that developments in forensic science may lead to a breakthrough. Writing for the Daily Post in 2019, Kelly Williams reported that in 2001, the main focus of the reopened inquiry was on Treveline's movements in the days between her return to Clangothlin and her disappearance. This led to the arrest of Treveline's husband, Richard Evans, then 72, though he was later released without charge. He was able to provide a solid alibi and numerous people had seen him at the family holiday home on the day of Treveline's disappearance. And it was at this time that the description of the smartly dressed man seen with Treveline on the preceding days and day of her disappearance was finally discounted as it was deemed to be inaccurate and had brought forward no leads or suspects in over 10 years. There were alleged sightings of Treveline in a remote town in Australia, in London and Interpol even investigated a sighting in France. None of these reports were confirmed and they did not result in any new evidence. In 2011, the police began to investigate the possibility that convicted serial killer Robin Ligus could have abducted and murdered Treveline. Robin Ligus killed three people between April and October 1994 near the town of Shrewsbury in Shropshire, England, just across the border from Wales. His three victims were Trevor Bradley, aged 53, whose body was found in a burnt-out car in the town of Malverley. Brian Coles, 57, who was found in his home in Higher Heath near Whitchurch, 
having been beaten to death with an iron bar. And finally, 75-year-old pensioner Robert Young, who was killed in Shrewsbury during a burglary of his home. Ligus was sentenced to life in prison in 1996 for the murder of Robert Young, but was only found guilty of the other killings in 2011, after a cold case review. Ligus had confessed to the additional murders to cellmates, police and psychologists, telling them that he was, quote, a natural-born killer, unquote. After being found guilty of the three murders, he was ordered to be detained indefinitely in a secure mental hospital. Ligus was originally linked to Treveline's case by location, Shropshire being close to the Wales border, and also by victim type. Although the people he had been convicted of murdering were male, they were older, more vulnerable people, and one was even an antiques dealer. Ligus was a burglar, and his murders had been carried out while stealing to feed a drug habit. Perhaps Treveline had been killed during the process of a robbery, as the large amount of money seen in her purse was never found. Following their investigation, the police ruled that Robin Ligus was not linked to Treveline Evans's disappearance, though of course some doubts still remain. There is another convicted killer that has been linked to Treveline's disappearance. I can find no evidence that this has been suggested formally by the police but it is hard to ignore Christopher Halliwell as a possible suspect. Freelance journalist Tim Hicks, together with retired police intelligence officer Chris Clark, are a team that investigate cold cases. In an article in North Wales's Daily Post in June 2021, they claim that Halliwell is someone that should be considered in the disappearance of Treveline Evans. On the 19th of October 2012, at Bristol Crown Court, Christopher Halliwell, aged 48, pleaded guilty to the murder of 22-year-old Sean O'Callaghan. Sean disappeared from Swindon in Wiltshire, having last been seen at a nightclub in the town in the early hours of the 19th of March 2011. Her body was found five days later, near Uffington in Oxfordshire. It also came to light that a second murder charge against Halliwell had been dropped as a result of an error in the police handling of the case. The body of Becky Godden Edwards, a woman who had been reported missing in 2007, was found after Halliwell's arrest. Halliwell had actually led police to the body. As Detective Superintendent Steve Fulcher had breached the guidelines of the Police and Criminal Evidence Act 1984 by failing to caution Halliwell and denying him access to a solicitor during the period the confessions were obtained, the judge deemed that they were inadmissible in court. The following years were full of legal wrangling and Detective Superintendent Fulcher resigned from the force in 2014 after having been found guilty of gross misconduct for not following proper procedures when arresting Halliwell. By 2016, enough evidence had been uncovered and Halliwell was charged with Becky Godden Edwards' murder. He was found guilty later that year. 
Fulcher maintains that Halliwell is a serial killer. There was an eight-year gap between the murders of Baki and Shan, and he is convinced that there are other victims during this period, and possibly even before. It's unusual for someone like Halliwell to start killing in his 40s, and there are unsolved murders as far back as 1988, when Halliwell would have been in his mid-twenties, that have been linked to him. A strong piece of evidence suggesting the serial killer theory is the secret stash containing over 60 items of women's clothes Halliwell had hidden away, which included items belonging to Sean and Becky. Fulcher also says that during a search of Halliwell's house, after Sean O'Callaghan's murder, he found 12 pencil-drawn sketches of areas of outstanding beauty. These have not been made public. Do these drawings depict possible burial sites? Fulcher claims that when Halliwell was first arrested, he hinted that he was responsible for eight murders. So could Treveline Evans be one of Halliwell's earlier victims? At 52, Treveline is older than the two women that Halliwell is known to have killed. But speaking in the aforementioned Daily Post article in June 2021, former police intelligence officer Chris Clark indicated that there are several red flags that should make Halliwell a possible suspect. Perhaps the most significant reason for linking Halliwell to Treveline is the town of Flangothlin itself. Halliwell was a known longboat or barge enthusiast. He would regularly go on boating trips and holidays along canals and waterways. One canal route finishes at Langothlin. It's also believed that at the time of Treveline's disappearance, Halliwell lived in Liverpool and worked there as a window fitter. Liverpool is only about an hour's drive from Langothlin. He also stayed regularly in other areas of the north of England, with access to canals and waterways entering Wales. It's also worth noting that Treveline's shop was very close to the canal. In 1987, Halliwell was released from prison after serving a sentence for burglary and stealing antiques. As you will remember, Treveline owned an antique shop. Halliwell was also known to snatch his victims very quickly and take them to another location out of the immediate area. The murder of Becky Godden Edwards also shows that Halliwell was chillingly adept at hiding a body. Without his confession, it is unlikely Becky's body would ever have been found. Whilst this is all circumstantial evidence at best, Halliwell's involvement is certainly worth considering in Treveline's disappearance, as so little is known about him. It was in February 2019, almost three decades after Treveline's disappearance, that interesting new information was brought forward by two brothers, Andy and Lee Sutton. Andy, a former chief auditor of Flintshire County Council, now living in Milton Keynes, England, and Lee, a carpenter from Kinmel Bay, North Wales, approached the police, saying that they had overheard a conversation in which an unknown man spoke of how Treveline was buried in Rithlin Golf Club. You will remember Rithlin was the place where the couple owned their holiday bungalow. 
Police took this new information seriously. And on the 19th of March 2019, police led an excavation of the golf club. No remains were ever found and the police thanked the golf club for their cooperation. The brothers said they had investigated themselves using a camera which showed human remains under the clubhouse's floorboards. They stated that the remains had been removed by the time the police had carried out their investigation. The brothers put in a formal complaint to the Independent Office for Police Conduct over the police handling of the search of the property, but it was ultimately rejected. This development is certainly an interesting one and points to a possible conspiracy. If this information is true, it would surely mean that more than one person was involved in Treveline's disappearance. Following the death of Treveline's husband, Richard, in 2015, at the age of 83, Various people came forward and informed the police that Treveline was buried close to the family's holiday home. They were all vague regarding where the information had come from, but it seems like someone wanted to make Richard a suspect. Police never investigated these claims due to the lack of supportive evidence surrounding them. The most recent twist in this tale happened in January 2021. On a popular walking route between Pristatin and Dusseth, around 50 kilometres from Llangothlin, a mysterious plaque commemorating Treveline Evans appeared on a bench. The person or persons who placed it there remain unknown, and it is unclear why that particular spot was chosen. Both Andy and Lee Sutton deny any involvement in the appearance of the plaque. The inscription on the plaque reads, quote, In memory of Treveline Evans, vanished 16th of the 6th, 1990. Found Riddling Golf Club, 14th of the 3rd, 2019. Removed 19th of the 3rd, 2019. R.I.P. End quote. The details certainly suggest that Treveline's remains were at the golf club and then removed by persons unknown. Reporting in January 2021, North Wales Online said that the plaque was put in place some weeks ago and within the past few days had been defaced. It was removed shortly afterwards. So what did happen to Treveline? Let's take a look at a few theories. Theory number one, Treveline disappeared to start a new life somewhere. Fed up with her life in North Wales and bored with her marriage and work, Treveline, craving excitement and a fresh start, ran away, perhaps to another country. This doesn't seem to me a plausible explanation based on the evidence of Treveline's friends and their character descriptions of her plus the fact that her bank account was never accessed again. In my opinion, this theory is by far the most remote. Theory 2. Treveline suffered a stroke or accident and died. Sometime around lunchtime, Treveline suffered a stroke and died of exposure somewhere in the North Wales countryside 
or perhaps fell into the canal or river Dee and drowned. Stroke sufferers can experience sudden confusion, trouble speaking and trouble seeing in one or both eyes, as well as dizziness, loss of balance and lack of coordination. Perhaps in this state she wandered aimlessly, eventually succumbing to her condition or the elements. Or perhaps Treveline had a fatal accident, slipping and falling into the canal or river. The major problem with this theory is that her body has never been found. While the North Wales countryside is remote and vast, how far could she have realistically walked in a confused state and without anyone seeing her like this? The canal and River Dee were searched thoroughly, with no trace of Treveline ever being found. Theory 3. Treveline was hit and killed by a car, and the driver then hid her body. This theory is based on the witness sighting of Treveline walking along the road out of the village. Was she involved in a hit-and-run accident that was covered up by the driver, her body removed in the car and taken to another location, where it has never been found? This theory takes the unconfirmed witness statement at approximately 2.35pm as fact, but doesn't address why she would have been walking there in the first place. No evidence of an accident was ever found on any of the nearby roads. No blood or tyre marks on the road surface or damage alongside the road was reported. This theory seems unlikely based on the evidence. Theory 4. Treveline was killed by someone that she knew, possibly a family member. The most obvious suspect in a case like this would be Treveline's husband, Richard. Police obviously suspected him, and they had probable cause to arrest him in 2001. Though he was later released without charge, we can safely assume that the police have information that they have not released to the public about why Richard was arrested at that time. Reading between the lines, the Sutton brothers' theory would also point towards someone close to Treveline, or at least someone who knew her, being involved, considering the proximity of the golf club to the couple's holiday bungalow. Richard was able to provide an alibi for the day of the disappearance, and he did not have access to the couple's car, as Treveline was using it. For Richard to be involved, he would need to have had accomplices, or at the least people willing to provide him with a false alibi. Is there really a conspiracy at the centre of this case, involving numerous people? And the bigger question is, why? Everyone who knew the couple said they were happy. There is the possibility that Treveline was killed by someone she knew, outside of her family. But Treveline was popular, friendly and likeable. She didn't seem to have any enemies, and there was no evidence of an affair. Again, it is hard to fathom a motive. Theory 5. Treveline was murdered by a stranger. Was Treveline targeted by a stranger? perhaps by someone who had visited her shop, posing as a customer. Who was the mysterious man spotted in the shop shortly before she disappeared? Was he the same person witnesses placed her with during the previous days? Why has he never come forward or been identified? 
This man's identity would appear to be key to unlocking the truth of what happened to Treveline. Although at the same time it's hard not to wonder if this is just another red herring. Along with the later sightings of Treveline on the day she disappeared, it's difficult to know how much weight to put on these witness accounts. The police disregarded the description of this mystery man back in 2001. Did he ever actually exist? Was Treveline the victim of an opportunistic killer? Or was her disappearance, and presumed death, the result of a robbery gone wrong? Where did the money go that was seen in her purse earlier in the day? Had she met a customer to purchase an antique from them, only to find this was a ruse to rob her, or indeed murder her? Perhaps Treveline did fall foul to a serial killer, Perhaps someone already in prison for other murders, like Christopher Halliwell, or a person as yet unknown. The tale of Treveline Evans's disappearance continues to find its way onto internet lists of greatest mysteries, and it looks like the puzzle of what happened on that afternoon in June 1990 may never be solved. <laughs>